Welcome to Try This at Home with Leslie and Leslin, a podcast that offers you tips and tricks for solving problems, increasing happiness, and creating a better life. Hi, this is Leslin from Try This at Home. So last week, we talked about narcissism. And very often, where you find a narcissist, you'll find a codependent person. Today, we're explaining codependency and whether or not it's a problem that actually needs to be fixed. So grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine and listen in. Hi, Les. You know, I just have to say for the record, I miss you. I miss you too. Yeah, I, this this recording from random places around my house and office is getting a little old. I miss being upstairs in your house in our recording room. <laughs> I know. And I have to I mean, fortunately, today it's not too god-awful hot up here. I, um, I live in a cape. And, you know, capes don't, they have a lot of roof area. Yeah. And so these upstairs bedrooms get super hot, even when I have the air conditioning on. Mm-hmm. And since I live alone, I lit, you know, I close the doors. And, and so last night I was up here sewing and I'm like, oh, let me be smart. Close the curtains and keep the door open. So it's nice and cool in here today. Wow, very good. Yeah. I'm recording in my closet at my office surrounded by shipping boxes and coils because this is the only place that isn't loud for me today. So, yeah, you know, we're all just making do, aren't we? I can't tell you how many clients I have seen while they sit in their car because, (laughs) you know, and do Zoom sessions because they just can't, there's no privacy anywhere, you know? No, there's not. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, uh, we're just, you know, kudos to all of us for doing the best we freaking can. Yeah. Amen to that. So, all right, we're talking about codependency. And for full and fair disclosure, I consider myself a recovering codependent. And so I say that because while there's a little bit of codependency in all of us, and we'll be talking, we'll be talking later about what's healthy, it can get unhealthy very, very quickly and without us realizing it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I definitely looking over this list here, I definitely can see areas where I'm a little bit, a little bit of that in, in each of these, but let's define it. So tell us what is codependency. Okay, good. So, and you might've heard the terminology was actually popular by Melody Beattie, back in the, I believe it was the 70s, she wrote a book called Codependent No More. And her use of codependency was really focused in the addictions arena, especially around alcoholism. And so it's become synonymous in that part of our culture, uh, AA and codependent recovery meetings But it actually is much broader than that. And so it's a behavioral condition in a relationship. So it's a relational disorder where one person enables another person's addiction, their poor mental health, immaturity, irresponsibility, or underachievement. So I just want to repeat that again. Yeah. 
codependency is found where someone enables another person's addiction on anything, any kind of addiction, poor mental health, bipolar, schizophrenia, borderline, any of those big mental health disorders, immaturity. So a lot of moms will do this. Irresponsibility. So you have a 35-year-old kid living in your house. (laughs) You are enabling irresponsibility or underachievement and or underachievement. So when, you know, we'll, we'll keep talking about it, but among the core characteristics of codependency is that excessive reliance on another person for approval or a sense of identity. And my mother was a classic codependent. And, and we can talk more about this, but it's, you know, it, it can go from this healthy element of, I depend on you to be there to, oh my God, don't leave me very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the signs of codependency because you may recognize yourself in this. And I, I just want to say today, we're really going to focus on some of the more subtle signs because the person who says, I can't leave my husband. I don't know what I would do without him. The person who's desperately saying that to an abuser, right? Or about an abuser. We know that person's codependent. That's obvious. But there are some more subtle signs that we're going to talk about. And if you see yourself here, don't panic. But understand that there may be things that you need to kind of look at in order to get your levels into a healthy space versus an unhealthy space. Yeah. And I I think this really, this list really highlights why it's important to get your, get yourself in order in terms of, you know, where you struggle with any disorders, whether it be setting boundaries or, you know, if you're struggling with anxiety or any of that kind of stuff, you know, you're leaving the door wide open for codependency in relationships if you don't get that stuff taken care of with self-esteem or whatever it is. Absolutely. And I'll say till I go to the grave, two unhealthy people cannot have a healthy relationship. Yeah. And that, by the way, that's like so profound and so tricky because I know of somebody that's in a relationship. She's extremely immature and her partner completely and totally enables her to be that way. It's a very codependent relationship. And they both seem very happy in that relationship, like, you know, blissfully ignorant or whatever, but you know, it makes you wonder, are they happy? Is this good? Can this continue? What are the consequences to this? Cause it, it, from the outside looking in, it just seems so wrong. Do you have any, do you know any happy drunks? No, no, I do. I actually know people who would say that they're happy and they act happy, but they're alcoholics. Hmm. And it's, and so I heard I heard that you said they seem happy. Yeah. And what I said is you can't be healthy. Right. 
And there's a difference. Yeah, definitely. Right? I mean, I think that there are some people who would say that they're happy. And I would say that they're probably superficially living their lives. Well, to your point, I would be thrilled and happy if I could sit down and eat a stack of, you know, McDonald's and Wendy's because it tastes great, but it's certainly not healthy. (laughs) Precisely. (laughs) And that's my point, right? Is that happy does not always equal healthy. I mean, if I'm being honest, I would love to play craps every night. Yeah, I love that game. I love the thrill of the dice. I love the thrill of the chips. I love it. But that's not healthy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. I'm pretty happy alone in my house. I could probably be a happy little hermit, but that's not healthy. So happy and healthy are two different things. Which doesn't that, I mean, haven't you seen everywhere where, you know, just live life, do whatever makes you happy. Find your happiness. Do happy, 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 happy. Really makes me question, like, maybe we should be saying do what makes you healthy and strong and happiness will follow. Yeah. Well, you know, and I mean, I I talk about this a lot because when I do the Elevate class, one of the, I mean, I start out by trying to teach people what the different types of happiness are and what leads to an authentic life. Because the truest form of happiness comes when we're living an authentic life. But most of us live in a state of hedonic happiness. And if hedonic comes from the word hedo or hedonism comes from the word hedonic, I'm not sure which one's Latin. Yeah. And that's about instant gratification, right? It's this, oh my gosh, this feels so good. I love this feeling. We live in a hedonic world more, more than not. And it is about balance. We do need hedonic moments in our life, but most of us who are, Seeking eudaimonic happiness are report a much, much higher sense of overall well-being. And I know that's a lot of psychology terminology, but the people who rate themselves as living a good life generally score much, much higher on the eudaimonic scales than they do on the hedonic scales. Mm, that's very interesting. Yeah. So anyway, we probably could do a whole nother podcast on that, but let's go through the signs of codependency. Okay. All right. Go for it. Okay. First of all, having difficulty identifying your feelings over time. And and it's possible for people to come into a relationship easily talking about how they feel. But if you're with an addict or you're with a narcissist and or with somebody who's terribly immature, they may not, um, they may behave in a way that it will produce a pattern of, well, it won't matter how I feel, so I'm just not even gonna pay attention to it. Okay. So it's right. it's it's a it's something that develops. If you say to yourself, well, it really won't matter how I feel, that's a red flag. Yeah. Next, having difficulty making decisions. So if you're too worried or if you're worried about whether or not this is going to be the right decision or 
you know, let's just say classic, where do you want to go for dinner? Oh, I don't know. Because the last time you said, I want to go to Applebee's, your partner got there and all they did is complain about Applebee's the whole night, the whole time they were there. Right. Or, and when that, again, when that pattern continues, you start having difficulty making a decision. Yeah. So also difficulty communicating a relationship. So you see, we're getting kind of a pattern here of sometimes this, you're like this before you go into the relationship because maybe you had a narcissistic parent at home or you grew up with an alcoholic parent and you're codependent going into a relationship. But sometimes you can develop codependency in a relationship with an alcoholic or a narcissist or a borderline or somebody, you know, with severe bipolar. And this over time, this pattern develops and you get steamrolled or somebody doesn't pay attention. So your ability to communicate, make decisions and identify your feelings all disappear. Yeah, that's really, that's really sad because I, I'm sure it just gets harder and harder and harder every time your voice is kind of diminished. It just the likelihood that you finally speak up just, I think, would become less and less. Yeah, you surrender. I mean, you just, and not in a good way, right? Right. So next we have valuing the approval of others more than valuing yourself. Now, in a big, on a big scale, people would say, well, who does that, <laughs> right? Yeah. But think about how many times you made a decision to go to a party even though you were exhausted because you didn't want somebody else to be mad at you. Yeah. Or you, I mean, to be fair, we could say this, oh, I had sex that, that night and you know, I have sex three times a week because I don't want my husband to leave me. Right. Well, I mean, to every person out there, I'm going to say we need, it's a red flag. If you feel that way, that is a red flag. And it's not necessarily horrible right? There could be all kinds of other things happening, but it's absolutely a red flag. Yeah. I just did something very similar, not the sex thing, but... Oh, come on, Les, you're telling us. Come on, <laughs> share, share. Well, the, the thing that just happened recently is that, you know, I'm a, I'm a graphic designer and so people will come out of the woodwork wanting me to do stuff for them. And I recently just did this for, for my sister, actually. She asked me to make invitations and something for somebody else. And I, it was just easier for me to say yes, even though I didn't have the time and I didn't want to do it than to deal with her upset with me because I didn't do it. So there you go. That's, that's me placing more value on her than myself. Yes, it is. Uh, and that's a classic example. And listen, we all do that a little bit, especially for family. Sure. Especially for family. But... It, there comes a point when it's unhealthy and we can talk about that. Yeah. Lacking trust in yourself or having poor self-esteem. Now, again, over time, this comes from an absence of validation, right? Now, you may go into a relationship like that, again, because of your childhood, but it can also happen in a marriage. A lot of times when I get couples in for counseling, we will discover that this pattern exists in their relationship. And 
it can slowly erode. And again, you're not going to notice it. It's not going to be the first time. But eventually you get to the point where your self-esteem is, if you're saying it doesn't matter, no matter what I do, it's not enough. Red flag. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Having fears of abandonment or an excessive need for approval. So this is important because there are so many people, I see so many people who panic at the idea that they won't be wanted. Right. That, and you know, I've, I've worked with people who, who will say, you know, I, I mean, I have to do whatever it takes to make sure he loves me. Well, I, I want to sit that person down and keep him for six solid hours in my office. Well, I, yeah, I have a friend who she, there was a, a transgression that occurred in their relationship, her and her husband's relationship. And instead of her doing the steps that needed to be done to address it, it was a situation where it was like, oh my gosh, I can't not have him in my life. I can't do this alone. I can't raise my kids by myself. I can't, I can't, I can't. So it just got smoothed over. It's very difficult to watch. Yeah. And I want to just say that there are times, right, when we are, we are absolutely between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. We we either allow this poor behavior to continue and go on about our day because we don't have, we feel like we don't have any choices or we don't allow that behavior to go on and we make very hard decisions and life becomes immensely more difficult. Right. So it's it's not cut and dry. It's not, it's rarely cut and dry, although to the outside observer, it's obvious, right? And people have different priorities, but it it is a side of codependency nonetheless. Yeah. And And it goes hand in hand with the having an unhealthy dependence on the relationship where you give in over and over and over again, even though it compromises your own set of values or your own authenticity again we all do that once in a while right yeah i don't i may not really want to go sit on a beach in the caribbean i'd rather go to the mountains but if that's what my partner wants for our anniversary i'll acquiesce and i i think it becomes even harder because in that example that you gave like are you gonna have fun going where they went well sure you might have fun you might end up loving the beach or loving the mountains or whatever it is, but it's, it's still codependency, even if I think you like it. (laughs) Yeah. And by definition, it's codependency, right? I think, again, I want to just want to point out if you just are listening midstream or you haven't been listening closely, some elements of codependency exist in all of us. And I can hear some people out there thinking, well, isn't that just a compromise? Yes. Yeah. If, if, if the relationship is steeped in mutuality. Right. 
But codependent relationships are not steeped in mutuality. Yeah. If if you love the mountains and they love the beach and every other year you do mountain beach, mountain beach, that is a perfectly healthy, wonderful compromise. Correct. It's 10 to one or 10 to none. That is not. (laughs) Correct. Correct. So let's, let's just really make that clear. All right. Another, and we're almost getting to the end of this. Another is an exaggerated sense of responsibility. So if, if, you know, let's say somebody gets drunk and you accept responsibility. Well, I should have been paying more attention to how much he was drinking or, well, my son didn't get to write it, do his homework last night because I took him out to dinner and we got back too late. Or, oh, this is my favorite. Oh, <laughs> my kid, my kid was late for work because I forgot to wake him up. <laughs> uh, I don't even let that fly with my eight-year-old. <laughs> Oh. If I had a dime for every time I heard that, you, I would be a freaking wealthy woman. I am not kidding you. My adult child is late for work because I forgot to wake him up. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. I, I'm I'm serious. By the way, when I when I say that about my children, we have little Google Homes in each of their rooms, and all they have to do is say. Hey Google, set an alarm for such and such a time, and it'll wake them up. So they you can do that <laughs> without a Google f- Home. You can do it with a freaking smartphone. Well, but I'm saying even for children that don't have phones, I'm saying oh I, yeah, yeah yeah yeah, I yeah. can utilize this with my seven, eight, and eleven year olds. None of them have phones. Yeah, didn't yeah. think about it that way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You're, you're totally right. In the day of technology, that should never be ever an excuse. Ever. All right. We're going to take a really short break. And when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about enabling. Hey, everyone. It's Leslin. One of our goals this year is to grow the podcast audience and you can help. We would truly appreciate a share or a shout out if you found the ideas here helpful. Don't forget, you can always touch base with us personally on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, trythisathomepodcast.com. Okay, so right before that break, we were talking about enabling, right? Yes. Making excuses. That makes me the codependent. And in that particular case, now we're we're enabling the irresponsibility or the immaturity, right? Yeah. Enabling means I'm letting it happen. Yeah. Okay. Enabling behavior is rarely seen in a healthy relationship. Let me say that again. Enabling behavior is rarely seen in a healthy relationship. Let that just soak in. Yeah. Okay. And and by the way, the reason that it, at least the reason that I think that doesn't happen is because I want my spouse or my friend or whoever close to me in my life, I want them to be happy and healthy. And going back to what I said earlier, if we understand that happiness doesn't always mean healthy, 
you know, I, I want them to have the best of both. And so I'm going to speak out and, and see if I can help or call attention to it. Or, you know, you want to, you want to be supportive so that they can fix it. Yes. And you just said a key word here. So they can fix it. But you see, most codependents believe they have the capacity to make it better for you. Well, let me just take care of this for you. Let me just fix it for you. Because most codependents don't understand the what it means for happiness to come from the inside, right? A codependent sees, if you and I are codependent with one another, I'm basing my sense of self on you, on what you think of me, on what you, on how you treat me. And so my happiness is completely dependent on your response. Whereas a healthy person says, "Mm, my happiness is dependent on me. And we get to, in an autonomous way, be interdependent with one another. Right? And, and, I think in a relationship when when I've made myself happy and my husband has made himself happy, like it it highlights, you know, I don't know, it just it I guess I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Well, you're magnified. sharing your happiness. <laughs> it's magnified, I guess that's really what yes. it is. when we're together, you know, and we're both two healthy, happy people, where it's magnified and that's what you want. Yes. That is what you want. (laughs) If you are constantly bailing your partner out or your kids out, if you are constantly giving them another chance for the same infraction over and over and over again, and this was me, man. Oh my gosh. I, one of my character strengths is hope. It's one of my top five. And I carry that way too far. I just keep hoping. I just keep hoping that you're going to, that you're going to see the light and you are going to change your behavior. I have hope it right into my codependency. So (laughs) we're kind of going to talk about change in our next episode a little bit. And that's one of the things that I must have as well, because I would always use the excuse with someone. Well, once they get to this point, then they'll change. Okay. Well, they didn't do it then, but when they do this, they'll definitely change. Okay, right. now it's when they do this and you keep moving the yardstick and it's like, okay, at what point of this am I going to recognize that it's just not going to change? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, I think that's kind of goes to the next point of enabling is just ignoring the problem, right? Well, I'm just going to ignore that because eventually it'll change or accepting all the excuses, well, I'm sorry I didn't mean to. I mean, really, I was going to, but yeah. I mean, I can't. Well, I was trying. Right, right. I was, I really was. I was trying. I tried all night. What does that mean? Well, I I did this. You know, I'm ugh, being the one to fix the problem. Okay, fine. You tried. Let's go do it. Come on. I'll get in the car. I'll take you up there. Right? This happens with teenagers so much. How many times have I heard a parent tell me that they can't do something they want to do because they have to drive their kid to work, to back and forth to football practice? Or, you know, in, I mean, when my kids were going to school, there was a late bus. 
And if you had an after-school activity, you needed to take the late bus home. Now, I get it. The late bus took a long way home for my kids, right? <laughs> they might have been... We lived 15 minutes from the school. They might have been on that bus an hour and 15 minutes. And that would suck. But if wow. you want to do this activity and I'm at work or I'm doing something like I'm in the middle of painting a room or I'm, I'm taking care of three other kids at home. Come on. Yeah. Take the late bus home. Yeah. I, I tell my kids now, like, you know, they want me to drop what I'm doing and take them to Walmart to buy slime supplies. By the way, please tell me there are other parents out there who hate slime as much as I do. Can I just... I did. I hated it. I hated it. Oh. I really hated anything that made a mess. Yeah. I, tell <laughs> I didn't hate my, my kids, but... <laughs> I tell my kids, well, hold on. We just did this other thing today that was what you wanted to do. And now I need to, you know, I have this that I want to do. So we're going to do that now. And you know, they, they just expect, you know, because they're kids and they don't really know any better until we teach them. Like they just really think that my husband and I are going to drop everything we're doing. Yeah. And a codependent will. Yeah. Well, and let's be honest. Sometimes we do. Cause sometimes you're like, okay, well, sure. I'll take you my slime supplies and then I'm going to get two hours of peace and quiet. And sometimes honestly, that's, that is worth, worth the price of admission. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, you can't always do that. You're just, you're teaching them really poor behavior. (laughs) Yes. And I can hear all the people listening to this who are saying, but you only have your kids in the house for a short period of time, but okay, hold tight. Just hold your panties on because (laughs) we're not talking about a healthy version of this. We are talking about the super sacrificial version of this. Right. The part that denies any self-care regimen, right? If you had the whole morning to yourself because your kids were out playing and then they came home and you're still scrolling on TikTok or knee deep in your book and now they say, hey, mom, will you play a game with us? Go play the damn game. Of course, yeah. Right? You, um, you had right. You had your time. It's, it, everything that we're talking about is not black and white. There's a there's it it exists on a continuum and we slide across that continuum. So for codependency, I'm talking about the tail end where yeah. it's unhealthy. Yeah, for sure. So I think, I mean, earlier you said you had a question about when is codependency healthy? Yeah. So I, I think, man, this is just so complex. You know, it really is. And like you said, there's this continuum, but if there's a, an affair that has taken place in a relationship and that person is so codependent that they just gloss over it, but they seem, they seem happy and and their relationship on the outside seems healthy. I think for me that it's like, well, I don't want to enable that as the, as the friend. Like I don't want to, to make it seem as if I, 
I don't know if I am okay with it, even though I really don't have a lot of, certainly I, I can't comment too much on their relationship because I'm not in it. But that becomes hard because it's like, well, I don't know. Do you say something? Do you not say something? They seem like they're fine. I kind of know in my head that certainly you can't get over that sort of thing in a couple days, but no. What, what do you do? Yeah. Well, I think we can have an entire episode on recovering from infidelity, to be honest. Mm. Because what you just asked me is not a one-minute answer. Right. And, and there are so many, it depends, parts on that, you know? Yeah. Having been in that exact shoe... It's not as black and white as eh, you fucked up, get get out. Right? right? It's not that it's not that simple. Especially and in particularly if it's a first offense. Mm-hmm. Nobody's perfect. Affairs do not happen in healthy relationships. Yeah, something something certainly there was um it was a breeding ground, right? It it allowed that to to happen, to come up. Well, I'm, so I have a problem with the word allowed, right? It's well, wh- whoever stepped out, that was their They're decision. Fault. They behaved improperly, right. right? All I'm saying is that there was something in the relationship that was deficient mm. or... Or the person who stepped out has a deficiency in personal, like they, they're deficient in a value system. Right. So one of the two things, either, you know, people are susceptible to affairs when they feel unappreciated. And that is the key thing because if I feel appreciated at home and some dude walks up and says, oh my God, you have the most beautiful eyes. And then he starts talking to me. I'm going to be like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to say, you know, there's this guy at work who thinks I have beautiful eyes. We're going to have a conversation. But if I don't feel appreciated at home, I'm going to be very susceptible to that energy. And I don't want to get too far out of the topic because I really, we really could talk about this for, Oh, and we'll maybe we'll put this on our list. Yeah, for sure. And I and I want to so, make sure that. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I want you to, like, is there a way that we can know? Is there a checklist we can go through? You know, me and my checklist. Is there, <laughs> is there a way that we can find out if we're in the unhealthy part? Yeah, I think I think we can. And we'll put these in the notes, okay? We'll put these six questions in the notes, and you can ask yourself. So one, does your sense of purpose involve making extreme sacrifices to satisfy your partner's needs? Good question. Does your sense of purpose extreme sacrifices so that your partner can be happy? I would have said yes to that. 
Is it difficult to say no when your partner makes demands on your time and energy? I would have said yes to that. I had no boundaries. My Did you? Was, I yeah. No problem. <laughs> do you cover your partner's problems with drugs, alcohol, or the law? So do you cover up? And I can't tell you how many times my partner had an alcohol problem and not Harlan. We're not talking about Harlan here. Right. Uh, my uh, second partner, do you cover up? Do you cover up for them? Do you say he's sick instead of hungover or she? Do you say that, well, she only had four when in fact she had eight? Do mm. you. You know, those kinds of things. Yeah. Do you constantly worry about other people's opinions of you? Of you? Do you worry that people are going to judge you? That just kind of means that you are susceptible to be codependent. Right. Do you feel trapped in your relationship? Uh, I would have said yes to that. And do you keep quiet to avoid arguments? I never did that. <laughs> but... <laughs> But, you know, I mean, lots and lots and lots of people do. I mean, I just would rather fight the fight. And that wasn't necessarily healthy either, right? Yeah. I would nor I would be like you. I'm always willing to fight the fight. My husband is more willing to just, I think, smooth things over for sure. Well, it doesn't sound like Dustin is very codependent. So that's good. No. <laughs> so... You know, real quick, and I and I know we're kind of out of time here, but real quick, I just want to run through. If you see yourself here, it is not a lost cause. And I strongly recommend that you check in with a therapist, but at the very least, go out and get Melody's Beattie's new book. It's called The New Codependency. And when I say new, the first one was written in the 70s. This one, I believe, was written in the 2000s. First and foremost, you must learn how to set boundaries. And this book will kind of help you run through that. We also have a podcast on boundaries from early last year. Make sure that you understand what your enabling behavior is and make a decision to stop enabling. You must also really sit back and, and work on growing your self-esteem. I will tell you that Kristen Neff at the University of Austin in Texas does some amazing work. She has some great meditations that revolve around self-esteem. And I believe we have some podcasts on that as well. So when you recover from codependency, when you start addressing this, you will no longer be compelled to stay in an unhealthy relationship. And it's there's this immense freedom in that. You know, I used to I used to say to my therapist, this was shoot almost 20 years ago now, I used to say, it's like he's in this hole. And I'm I'm laying on the ground, reaching down there saying, come, I'll help you. Conscious, come to me. And he would, he just wouldn't even look up. And I was so desperate to help him. 
that I just kept laying there. And it took me years to figure out that I needed to get my ass up and keep on walking. <laughs> right. Well, and, and that it's worth mentioning this is that, you know, if, if you suddenly decide to work on your codependency and you start behaving in a way where you're standing up for yourself when you didn't used to, if you're speaking out when you didn't used to, if you're, you know, all these things, you should expect that your partner is going to notice and it's going to be difficult. That's correct. I Actually, mean, that's a really good point, Les. Yeah. You, I mean, this is not like today I'm not going to be codependent anymore and my partner is going to understand this and realize this is healthy and be so happy. You that's know, right. This, this is like a shock. This is an earthquake. Yes. You are 100% correct about this. And I tell people very often as I'm counseling that as you get healthy, you may need to make other decisions if your partner is not going to get healthy with you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what we want to do, and, and I really feel the need to say if we have triggered some feelings by listening to this podcast, you have our hearts and there are mental health resources available for you. Please make sure that you reach out and use them. What we really want to do is have you consider today's discussion. This is our try this at home and evaluate your level of codependency. If it's, if you, if there's just a lot of red flags, make sure that you seek some help. And that's it. That's our discussion for today. Next week, really interesting topics going to be the cancel culture and change. We'll be talking about it next week and we hope to see you then for now this is leslie and leslin hoping you will try this at home all perspectives and opinions expressed during this podcast are for educational and informational purposes only there is no direct or indirect intention to provide psychotherapy or mental health services if you are seeking counsel for individual circumstances please consult with a local health professional 